Greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the gateway city to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Kids are important. Not only in our community, in our city, in our state, nationally, internationally, but we're focusing on kids right now because Jessica Seitz, who's the executive director of Missouri Kids First, is on the line to talk with us about some recent legislation to help benefit the children in our community. Jessica, how are you doing? I am good. How are you guys doing today? Happy Friday. <laughs> yeah, it is a happy Yay. Friday. Friday. <laughs> Friday. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's great to talk to you. I haven't talked with you for a while. And actually, I haven't talked with you since you've been named the executive director. How's that job been going for you? It has been good. It's been actually time flies, especially it's been a crazy couple of years, but it's been about a year now. So yeah, I was there. I was the public policy director for four years, four legislative sessions, and then, then got got conned into being the executive director uh, <laughs> over that, <laughs> over, uh, over that this last summer. And so it's been about a year now. And I wonder how long before you feel like you really have your feet, your solid footing. But I feel like I'm very fortunate to leave this organization. I think probably coming from the public policy side, though, has given you a big benefit, though. Yeah, it definitely did. It is there. I learned a lot. I mean, I, I knew a lot about working with all different types of folks. And it's been, but I, it was, it has been humbling to run an organization. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of things I didn't know about running a nonprofit, but things a year later are, I feel a lot more comfortable, uh, I guess, or comfortable. Yes. Comfortable. So I want to but, give listeners, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. God, I was like, and I've got such a great membership, supportive staff that it was, that made, it made the whole change smoother. That's great. I want to give listeners an understanding of what Missouri Kids First does, and their vision is for all children to be treated with kindness, dignity, and respect. They empower adults to protect children from abuse and neglect through community education, professional training, and child advocacy. So let's put that into practice, and what does that look like in a community, Jessica? Sure. So we're a statewide organization. So we're headquartered in Jefferson City, but our, our staff's all over. So we are a membership organization. So my members make our, our child advocacy centers, and they are at 22 sites across the state. And a child advocacy center is where a child receives services, who has, a child who has an open case of child abuse and neglect. And you can go to a, a CAC, is what's the short version of a child advocacy center, CAC. So you'll probably hear, hear me use that acronym a lot. But it that's where a child would go. If there's a case of child abuse and neglect, they'll receive forensic interviews, mental health, some services for the family. And so we're, we're a membership association. So we provide so we provide training to those professionals who work at CACs or like our children's division workers, law enforcement, all of those adults who are empowered to to protect our kids and to help them get to receive services. But then we also provide, as you because you've done work with us, we have we also provide training for communities. So when we say we empower adults, we don't just mean those that's a part of their everyday job. We work with community members to train them on how it's part of their responsibility to protect our kids. And so 
We said we do a lot of training in public education and awareness. And then we also do that other side, another population that needs to be educated and empowered to protect our kids, our decision makers, our lawmakers. And so that's the field that I came from with public policy. And so one, our job at Kids First is to be the voice uh, on issues related to child abuse and neglect in, in our capital. And speaking so, about some of those issues, this last legislative mm-hmm. session had thousands of bills introduced, and there were 45 non-appropriation bills and resolutions that actually made it to the finish line to the governor's desk. What were some of those that were beneficial for children in Missouri? Yeah, so it was, as you probably saw in the news, it was a less productive year in the General Assembly. There was a lot of infighting over things that I don't work on, thankfully. There were a lot of things over congressional redistricting, and there were, and that slowed progress as far as the number of bills. 45 is a pretty low, and it's actually a pretty historic low number of bills that make it over. But in even among those, that small number, we managed to slip a few through. <laughs> Kids. Kids are a bipartisan issue, and well, at least a lot of kids' issues are a bipartisan issue, and most of ours are. And there was there was a big, so I'll start, and then I'll let you answer. I, I won't go into all of them, but one of them that we were really pleased about is that there was a big education bill that passed that had a lot of things in it, some of which we really didn't take a position on, or that that's not my area of expertise. But two provisions that we were at, we were really pleased that were added on to that bill relate to kids' safety in schools. So one of them was repealing some very outdated language that I think most folks didn't even know was on the books, which would allow for schools to um, to investigations on themselves when the alleged perpetrator of abuse is a school professional. So that would mean if the alleged perpetrator was somebody who works at the school, instead of going to Child Protective Services, who would do the investigation in any other case, the school could do the investigation, they're given the first choice, and then other authorities are, were made to honor, under that law, wow. their decision. And so we thought, did you know this was on the books? Most folks were shocked. And so we went through, we took that out. It really ended up not being controversial. It was more of an education. Did you know this is happening? The school folks were pretty supportive of it getting taken out, saying, we really don't want this responsibility. This is a liability as well. And so... We managed to get it through, but it took some education to get it around, to get it through. And the other thing that we managed to get through was we changed, we were, the law that will now require parental notification and consent around the use of corporal punishment in schools. So that's a more controversial, so I wonder if you have any questions about around either one of those. Yeah, I'm going to go, wow. <laughs> go ahead, Mark. No, I can't. That is a lot of info. I'm glad that you didn't get a lot of pushback on that, and that it was just an educational thing for folks to come around and say, "I don't want to. I don't want to be involved in in doing the investigation into something like that." It's just terrible that it was that way in the first place. I can't imagine who would do that. Anyway, well, and from experience, having done some of those, excuse Mm -hmm. me, it's up to a board of education, and it's up to the administration in a school district to decide how they're going to handle the results of that. Uh And many times, and I know Jessica mentioned this, is it's okay, we're going to, we'll release you, we'll just say that, yeah, you were employed from this date to this date, but we're not going to 
report this to law enforcement or we're not going to report this to the state of the put it Department on your record Education. or whatever mm-hmm. yeah because normally you would call the division of investigation for desi which is department of elementary and secondary education for their certification and they would send basically detectives who would come and investigate and it was about certification because do you want somebody who had been accused, and actually you found, like where there's smoke, there's fire. You found some fire that mm-hmm. they had actually been involved with a student, and you just dismissed that employee, and they went somewhere else. The Lindbergh School District is dealing with that nowadays. I've and always been uncomfortable with that. It is. I, I've known it happens in the law enforcement and even, like you say, in, in the academic world. And it's always been un- I've always been uncomfortable. Just as you said, they're going to go someplace else. And it's not going to be on their record. And unless somebody informs them that this has happened, they're liable to get right back in there and, hey, I got away with that. I'm going to try it again. Or I'll be a little careful, more careful this time so I don't get – I don't like the whole thing. Yeah. Jessica, who is who's the one that brought that kind of a reform language up to remove that out-of-date language? Do you know that? So on the, like on the advocacy side, it was Missouri Kids First. But the legislator who put that forward was Representative Hannah Kelly. She's down in the southwest kind of West Plains area of our state, and Representative Kelly's put a lot of our child protection bills through. But she actually did this at the request of, or at the, you know, with this, the full support of the Speaker of the House, Rob Viscovo, mm-hmm. who who had a case in his district. He's from Jefferson County, and I don't know which school, and I don't know the whole story, but I do know that this was brought to his attention by a constituent, which tends to be the most powerful way to get a legislator to put a bill in is a constituent and that is saying this happened to me. And so while they may have supported it, that usually can get a legislator to put the bill forward and make it a priority. So the speaker was alarmed by this, said, what is this language? What, why is this still on the book? And came to Representative Kelly, who, like I said, has put a bunch of, and she's a lot, she's more familiar with the statutes in this area. And she put the bill through and away we went. And ultimately, that bill was added on, like I said, to the larger bill. But really, it was, it came from the House and brought, and came, as we have found so much the whole time, I think, it's been in Kids First, it really did come from a story, which you hate that that's why, that when that something, it means, usually means something tragic has happened. But constituent stories are very powerful. Thank goodness so that language was tightened up and either eliminated or rephrased to take school districts out of the investigative kind of portion of that. Having been a part of it, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And we've had a few, actually the way that you and I connected when a couple of years ago, we've had a few, this issue around perpetrators of abuse, child sexual abuse specifically, but really abuse being in school has come up to lawmakers' attention a few times, and we passed a law in 2019, which seems a million years ago, but requiring school board members to get some education on how to handle these cases, just because exactly what you all were saying earlier, we see, we know that perpetrators of abuse tend to be those that are around, they tend to try to be around kids, and that can be in schools, and we had a lot of situations around passing the trash, which is where, you're right, someone goes to another school, they're not held accountable, schools don't have case correctly. So we've done, we had actually made a lot of reforms in 2019, and so this was just yet another improvement. So I've actually been really pleased hmm. with the direction the jury's gone in the last few years. Passing the trash. I like that. Yeah, that's Passing. a common phrase in education. <laughs> I never heard mm-hmm. it, but it sure fits. Yeah, I should say in educational administration. Okay. So what are, what's another one, Jessica, that people may really need to hear about? So I have a, a quick explanation 
question about the core punishment provision. And I recognize that this one isn't can be considered more more controversial. But Missouri was one of the like, I think there were under 20 states that still allow on our laws the use of corporal punishment in school as a use of of a disciplinary tactic. And my organization, I will say, supports a full-on removal of that authority, a ban on the use of school. It's not necessarily, that's a more controversial view as far as that did not have universal approval, like the one I just talked about. What we did this year is actually the language around around that was in the same statute that we were working on before, and lawmakers during the hearing said, wait a second, corporal punishment still allowable? <laughs> I said, yes, it's uh-uh. not used in very many districts because most districts have removed it from their own handbook, from right. their policy, and it really is not used that often, but it is still legal. And so when we were part of the bill, lawmakers came up with a compromise where notification and consent, which we do believe, while that's not a full-on ban, I do believe that it will, if anything, result in almost an entire elimination of the practice. I count it as a win. So that's another school one, which, if you have any questions on that, that it was an unexpected progress. I wasn't expecting to work on corporal punishment this year, but it's Sometimes this happens. You just strike while the iron's hot. I can't believe you have to even have to work on corporal punishment. Something I would think would have been handled years ago and yeah. straightened out. Yeah. Also old, old language. And really, I don't think that. I think most, it is bipartisan as far as people don't want it used in schools. But the issue of corporal punishment remains a, as far as in, what, in your own home and home disciplinary, That that is. Yeah, I think people are inclined to make the slippery slope argument a little bit, and they're a little right. bit worried about legislating on this. And so I we kept it. it like, no, this is just cool. We're not talking about spanking, things like that. Uh-huh. We can if you want to. <laughs> right. But no, that's not what we're trying to do right now. And so it ended up going over. Gotcha. I have a question for you that comes up every so often, and especially because of the pandemic. Has there been more reports of child abuse during the pandemic and that's the first question and the second question deals with child abuse and the last legislative session was anything done related to child abuse so during the pandemic during the pandemic we actually saw so in 2020 we saw a decrease in reports and that was that was because and this and then we really had to pivot just like everybody the movement and the field had to pivot because immediately what we found is that the reports declined because kids were no longer kids were isolated and they were no longer in school or and they were no longer seeing there was a lot of those folks that do we call them mandated reporters so those individuals who are mandated to report child abuse and who regularly see kids so schools daycares doctors all uh, yeah adults who see kids when everything went into kind of lockdown so march april may of 2020 i think the state child abuse and neglect hotline which is run by our department of social services they immediately dropped by half and we were like what oh my goodness yeah and and so we were the field was concerned what do we do with these numbers in the same way that a lot of a lot of fields were saying how do we grapple with this what's happening in our society we were faced with okay, if people aren't calling in, are our kids in danger? How do we get? And ultimately, we, at my organization, we did a, we worked on a public awareness campaign called Essential for Kids. It's actually still there's an essentialforkids.org if you want to check it out. But we did a big campaign around educating, reminding folks that it's still a responsibility to keep kids. And so we did a campaign for essential workers who at that time were the only one people people seeing other people everything from delivery like amazon delivery 
to yeah, essential, yeah, essential worker is what we were. That was the buzzword at the time. So we did see it. So that has that was really a temporary because then reports since that time have rebounded, and we did see an increase mm-hmm. in 2021 and 2022, or we're in, still in 2022. We have seen an increase, a slight increase. I think it will probably take us number a little bit of time before we really understand the breadth of the issue. But the numbers as far as reports have gone up and are higher than they were before the pandemic. That's the, so it was a dip, a surprising dip. We had to figure out what was going on. Now the numbers are back and demand of services like of my centers has increased. Wow. And is it, what, did the legislature act on anything related to child abuse or sexual assault of children in the legislative session this past year? So there were two things. So one is the most never, the most important thing our lawmakers, not there's a lot of important things, but one of the most important things that they do every year is our budget. And so we, the lawmakers this year did pass, and we were so grateful, they did pass an increase in funding for services for kids who are, who have victims of child abuse. And they did that in two ways. There was an increase in federal funding. We've all heard about, there was funding that came into our state for for COVID dollars, that's the easiest way, COVID dollars, we were able to work with the governor and the General Assembly to get some of those COVID dollars to be used for victim service agencies. So child advocacy centers like my members, but also some other programs. There's CASA programs that benefit from that, those dollars and domestic violence and sexual assault. So I don't want them to be forgotten. That is mm-hmm. a huge, so victim serving agencies. So we were really excited to see some of that COVID relief money go toward victim serving agencies. And that will pay off because... Those, that investment is, can be used over several years, can help when I said that there was an increased demand on my centers. Th- those dollars can will go a long way and be a really valuable investment. And then in both the response and the prevention. So then the budgetarily, and then, so there was some federal money, and they actually used, we had a pretty good state budget year too. And so we're, they actually put some state funding behind, behind child advocacy centers. And that was the first time we'd received an increase in since 2015. So it was a very exciting, very exciting budget year. Something I, this was my fifth session that I normally don't say. <laughs> no, that's that, something yeah, it's great because, and you correct me if I'm wrong, 5,000 cases each year of child abuse and sexual assault? Yep. Yeah, and my center serves, that's just sexual abuse, my center serves, these are just those kids that get to a child advocacy center. They served about 10,000 10, kids last year. Oh my year. gosh. So it really is, yeah, it really is, it is yeah, and I'm happy that lawmakers, so they, they passed good policies, and then they also put some dollars behind that, and both are necessary, and both are important of our lawmakers. So I was really pleased. There were, it was a historic budget year, there was a lot going on, and because there was a lot of COVID money, and really, I think lawmakers were dealing with an unprecedented number of decisions they needed to make about those dollars. We were really pleased that some of them went toward our kids, and our most vulnerable kids. Absolutely. I want to encourage listeners, if you've got a group, maybe it's a civic group, maybe it's a faith-based group or a school-based group, and you want more information, you need to go to MissouriKidsFirst.org, MissouriKidsFirst.org. If you want to get some training, if you just want to get some more information on what Missouri Kids First does and how you can help your community, be a set of eyes, be a set of of encouraged to help government officials, to just an awareness, please go to MissouriKidsFirst.org. Jessica has done a great job with moving the organization along. And Jessica, I really appreciate your time today to 
clue us in a little bit more about what happened this past year. And let's stay in touch as the next fiscal year has started, and we're going to get more legislation so we can stay up on those kinds of things, okay? I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Great to catch up. It was. Jessica Seitz, Executive Director of Missouri Kids First. Thanks, Jessica. We'll talk to you. Thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. We are glad you listened to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. Please share this podcast or tell a friend. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Strickland.